Wish you weren't hearing an ad? Want to get the next episode even sooner? After the show, head to watchnebula.com slash modulus. You'll get access to our original podcasts ad-free and sooner than everyone else, plus exclusive originals and experimental shows from your favorite educational content creators. Best of all, you're helping support us to make even more amazing content. Check out watchnebula.com slash modulus. This is Modulus, the podcast hosted by me, Brian McManus. And me, Stephanie Salmon. In each episode, we take turns sharing the stories of the people behind extraordinary science, engineering, and technological advancement. To inspire not only ourselves, but generations of inventors and history makers. In this season one finale episode, we're taking an inside look at Zipline, an ambitious delivery company from the perspective of a person whose job it is to find the company's technological flaws and fix them. They brought me back to life. I'm alive. I had left my children behind. So many failure modes, so little time. In October 2017, Uwamagira Jose, a young mother from Biti village in central Rwanda, suffered a devastating injury. I went to work at a construction site. While there, a machine used to lift things fell hard and hit my head. She went to hospital and tried taking painkillers back at home. But after two days, the pain was so severe, she went back to the hospital for a second time. The hospital she went to was one that had, just a year prior, implemented a new service that would end up saving her life. They partnered with a startup that delivered blood by drone. I lost consciousness, woke up later admitted, and had been transfused. I asked what had happened, and I was told about the transfusion and how it saved me. Nothing I can do. But I pray God will bless the Zipline team. Please thank them for me. They brought me back to life. I'm alive. I had left my children behind. Her story is one of millions of lives impacted by Zipline. Founded in 2014, Zipline designs, manufactures, and operates drones that deliver life-saving medical supply shipments to health facilities and patients primarily in countries across Africa, but also in the US. Their payloads include blood, COVID-19 vaccines, and snake anti-venom, among other supplies. We specialize in challenging or emergency situations. We fly through storms, rain or shine, night or day, because a lot of the time we're, we're delivering medicine to someone who really needs it. You know, we're delivering in an emergency situation. This is Joe Bond an embedded software engineer at Zipline. Joe works at Zipline's headquarters in San Francisco, about 9,000 miles from the company's main operations in Rwanda and Ghana. You know, it's fair to say that like before I started at Zipline, I I pretty much took medical care for granted, I think like most of us do, right? 
the idea that if I got into a car accident and needed to like go into surgery or, you know, get a, a blood transfusion, that the the blood would be avail- available to me was just like assumed. But I remember reading once about how many cesarean sections are performed at facilities without blood transfusing capabilities, which if you just sort of like pause and, and think about that for a minute, like is so viscerally like terrifying <laughs> to consider getting like serious surgery, like major surgery and not having blood available to you. That's, that's sort of like my, <laughs> like the, the one sentence, like, why do, why do you work here is like that, you know, like that, that's the reason. Anything that you can do, like however small to tackle that problem and, and make medical products available to people feels like a, a good way to spend a day, you know, like it's a good way to, a good reason to get out of bed in the morning. Zipline has demonstrated its on-demand delivery abilities with over 9 million miles flown, over 140,000 missions and well over 700,000 products delivered via drone or a zip as they call it. Most of their work has taken place in Rwanda and Ghana, countries whose leadership have embraced drones in their airspaces, allowing Zipline to build what's been called the world's most advanced drone corridor network for the delivery of blood and medical products. The scale of their operation continues to grow. When I joined, there was only one facility and a a busy day might be 30 or 40 flights, like if we were really cranking. And now we have six facilities in across Rwanda and Ghana, and we're doing hundreds of flights a day. A busy day is more like 150, 160 flights in one shift from one facility. We're, we're at the point where, you know, like shaving seconds off of the pre-flight process has like a real impact in the, the number of flights that we can do in a shift. Like we're, we're down to that level of like refinement. In this world of expanding high stakes distribution with lives on the line, the most critical metric is reliability. That's Joe's entire world. So many failure modes, so little time. Since joining the company in 2018, Joe has been trying to find the company's technological flaws before they cause a failed mission. She scours the code that runs the vehicle and some of the ground systems at the distribution centers where the drones launch from, trying to find breaking points before they become a problem. So in a, in a previous life, I used to be a test engineer at SpaceX. And so I, I wrote software to try and find you know, bugs and, and failure modes in, in new avionics designs. And so for years and years, I was just thinking about how to break things. And I think that shaped a lot of my thinking in, in terms of engineering. So a lot of the work that I do in flight software is building systems that can kind of detect anomalies, you know, figure out things that are going wrong in the vehicle before they turn into big problems. And also thinking about how to test software on the ground or in, at our test facilities before um, we release software to production so that we catch as many of the bugs as possible, as early as possible, before they get to the point where they might actually impact you know, production deliveries or anything like that. What is it, do you think, that draws you into this line of work of essentially breaking things? Yeah, that's a good question. I sort of think it's maybe just a personality type that some people have where they like breaking things and they they like thinking about how to sabotage stuff, but like for good, not for evil. I mean, the the great thing about 
when I used to be a test engineer is all I had to do was break stuff and then fixing it was someone else's problem, which was amazing, you know? Like, we'd do stuff like firing nail guns into battery packs to see if we could induce, like, thermal runaway or just putting things in a radiation chamber and, you know, like, all sorts of horrible stuff. And then, like, if you break it, like, great, like, you did your job and now some, some poor other engineer has to go fix it. Nowadays, it's sort of like I, I have both, you know, like I, I break it and then I have to fix it. But I think it is like a thrill, you know, when you find a bug in testing, it's like this immense relief that you found it in time and that you didn't have to find it in production. Because when there's a bug in production and you have to, like, you know, in the context of zipline, you have to like ground flight. And, and this hasn't happened in a long time, but early on, you know, there were things that we would be concerned about. And so we would halt flight at the facility for, you know, hours or like a whole day. Like that just sucks so much. You know, the the delivering medicine thing is like a real double-edged sword. You know, it feels great when you do it, but correspondingly feels terrible when, you know, your code is the reason that they they can't get deliveries out. So I think part of it is just never wanting that to happen, you know, like never wanting to find bugs in production if I can help it. And the glee at finding bugs and testing, <laughs> the satisfaction, uh, maybe just how my brain works. Like finding ways of messing with a system to find flaws strikes me as an incredibly creative <laughs> like thing. Like you're basically thinking of things, something that's never happened before. And that's like yeah. your entire job is like, how can this fail in ways that we didn't expect? And it's like the didn't expect bit is the the key there. Yeah. I think this is this is something that I think gets overlooked so often. Like a lot of people think that test engineering is like junior varsity and I like could not disagree more. I think when you have a, a really good test engineer working with you who's just like breaking your stuff right and left, it's the best thing in the world and it takes an enormous amount of skill to get really creative and to just throw the exact right wrench <laughs> in the works to just break everything. And I used to do it, but it's a profession that I have enormous respect for. Yeah, one one of the things I, I just literally finished listening to, to The Marsh in there, and like I'd watched the movie, but I wanted to read the book. I'm dyslexic, so I just listen to things. And in one of the sequences is like talking about the pilot of, of the MAV that's coming up from Mars. And the commander had thrown in this like specific bug to throw them off. It's like the third engine is going to cut out, and you're going to lose altitude sensors at the exact same time. So like you, you, it's going to appear that you just lost power, but you're also like falling out of the sky. And he's like, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> it's just just like a really interesting part of the book of just like trying to throw things at people and just like obviously in that case, it's throwing it at a pilot to see how it, can they like problem solve and see what went wrong in time. It's almost an extra level of difficulty. You're trying to throw it at a computer to see how it fails. Yeah, that's why I love doing, you know, like integrated system fault testing because it's such a complicated system that at that point, I don't know if it's like fair to call it emergent behavior, but it's a level of complexity that you can like barely, you know, reason about. And so just, I'm going to reboot this thing and then all the different parts of the system have to respond to that. And like every every time you do that, you learn something like really interesting <laughs> about the system that you built. Is there any like particular stories within Zipline that you, like you remember of finding like some big problem solving that you? I always like refer to it as that like dopamine rush of like a problem solving scenario. Do you have any specific things that pops up when you think of that? 
gosh, how do I choose? So there, there's one really cool thing that we do for testing that I think is just like the most fun. And we call it fault injection testing. And basically what we do is we we launch a vehicle, we we put it up in the air, and then we'll send commands over the radio to just wreak havoc with it. You know, we'll start rebooting processors in flight. We'll start, you know, like rebooting the GPS receivers, just anything that we can throw at it. And, you know, it's kind of crazy to, to see the vehicle flying around and knowing that it's just having the worst day of its entire life, <laughs> you know. But there, there was one particular bug that we were, well, it was, it was more like a feature that we were working on. We wanted to be able to keep flying after GPS receiver reboot. So previously, if something went wrong with the GPS receiver, the primary GPS receiver, we would turn around and come home, like we wouldn't complete the delivery mission. And so we wanted to make the system more robust to that, make sure that it could keep flying and, and keep going on its mission. And so we we wrote this code to sort of gracefully handle, you know, a GPS reset. We tested it on our hardware in the loop system. Everything looked great. We put a vehicle up in the air. We commanded the the GPS receiver to reboot itself and the vehicle just like nosedived and we were like, "What? <laughs> what just happened?" So then, you know, like we we run out to go get it and we look at the logs and there was Basically, just like an extra status flag from the GPS receiver that we weren't paying attention to properly in the code. And it was the kind of problem that if it had escaped into the wild, it would have just been a nightmare, you know, like uh, the kind of problem that you never want to see in production. And yeah, the fact that we we were able to reproduce it in, in flight testing and, and catch it that early, it was, it was so satisfying. <laughs> so like the the rush of catching like a really, really bad bug in testing like you're supposed to. Uh, yeah. I, I'm a bit of a testing nerd if you can't, <laughs> if you haven't already noticed, but catching problems in testing is is the most satisfying thing to me. Joe says these challenges at Zipline lured her in when she was first considering joining the team. But the promise of tackling complex technological issues wasn't the deciding factor. Instead, it was the question of whether the company would stay true to its original humanitarian mission. It's fair to say that I was like a little suspicious about, or just like maybe a little paranoid about the mission of the company and, you know, whether they would continue to focus on medical delivery or whether that was just sort of like their initial test case. And, and so I asked some pretty pointed questions. I was like, you know, look, this, is, this seems rad, but are you just going to like pivot to like burrito delivery once you get like the kinks worked out of the system? And I very clearly remember one, I was talking to one engineer and he said like, the day we deliver a burrito is the day I quit Zipline. <laughs> and I was like, okay, <laughs> like that, that gives me like, you know, good confidence that this is not just like a, a stepping stone to, to something more profitable. Like this is the, like the heart of the company. And if we deliver other stuff, you know, someday it, it won't be like instead of medicine, it might be like in service of the medical mission, but like we're never going to pivot away from delivering medicine. And, and and that was super important to me when I was thinking about whether, whether to join the company. While working at Zipline, have you ever experienced a moment that confirmed this ethos of the company mm -hmm. that that it's guided by these altruistic aims. Yeah, there, there was one time sort of early, early on after I joined the company. So, you know, when a, when a zip pulls its safety parachute, the operations team has to go out and get it, you know, at that point, 
which is, I think, what sometimes people don't consider because they need that vehicle back for operations the next day. And the, the vehicle is where we store the detailed flight telemetry. So we need it to like diagnose flight failures. Like, you know, we need to get the vehicle back to understand what happened. So anyway, the thing is that, you know, oftentimes the reason that uh, the vehicle has to pull the chute is because of extreme weather conditions. So like a totally gnarly thunderstorm. And there was a, you know, a vehicle that went down towards the, the end of an operational shift. So like they've already been working like 12 hours and it went down because of this, you know, really crazy rainstorm that blew up and it came down like in the middle of a forest, right? And so the operations team gets in the, the truck and, and goes out and they had to build a bridge, like they had to pull fallen trees to get the truck across a creek that was overflowing so that they could get to the vehicle. And then they're like hiking through the forest, like in the middle of the night to, to get this zip back. And that just really blew my mind when I, I got into work the next day and I saw these pictures. They were like, check out this bridge we built. <laughs> and, you know, I think that like if it had been me, you know, I might have been like, well, it's raining pretty hard, you guys. Like maybe, maybe we should wait until tomorrow. But I think that level of dedication, what that said to me was like, I need to match that, you know, like I need to do everything within my power to deserve like that kind of effort that the operations team is putting in. And I feel like that wouldn't have happened, you know, just just anywhere like that. That really felt like, this is cheesy, but yeah, that <laughs> felt like a, a zipline moment. I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing how zipline grows. Yeah. Like, where do you see zipline? going in the next year or two and where would you like to steer the company for me it's it's all about like scale and reliability right because i feel like every every time you hit a new order of magnitude in terms of you know the number of flights or whatever you know that you're doing like it's it's almost an entirely new engineering problem so to to get to like the first successful flight is like an enormous amount of work and then to do a hundred flights in a row successfully, you know, without failing is like almost as much work all over again. And then, you know, like 10,000 10, flights is, is just like a whole new problem. So I think for me, the way my brain works, like I really love the the scale, you know, like how do you do something a hundred thousand times without, without messing up is like catnip to my brain. And when we are only doing, you know, a few dozen flights a day, and we only had one distribution center, we could afford to, you know, spend a lot of time poring over flight logs and sort of like doing a lot of manual analysis, like developing our understanding of the system. You know, the plane would refuse to launch because like some pre-flight check had failed. And so we'd be like, okay, why did that happen? And we could like, we had the time to dig through. But when you're doing, you know, like 500, 600, you know, like a thousand flights a day, if, you know, the 5% of them are refusing to launch because of some pre-flight problem, then now you're drowning in things that you have to, you know, troubleshoot. And so I think the really interesting thing for the next year or two is we have all these, you know, like ambitious plans to, you know, like open new facilities, expand to new countries, do all this new stuff. But at the same time, we have to be driving our reliability like better and better. Otherwise, like we're just not going to be able to keep up with, you know, 
that level of flying. And so, like, I think we're doing pretty well, but it's it's like this race, you know, against our own success almost. <laughs> because, you know, like, people really like what we do. They want to bring, like, our service to their, you know, country and, and to their healthcare system. But, like, we have to we have to meet that, you know, demand with a level of reliability that's, like, you know, still further out than even what we do today. Zipline has landed a slew of new partnerships that will expand their work beyond Rwanda and Ghana and within the US. Recently, Nigeria's Kaduna state signed on with Zipline to deliver COVID-19 vaccines, with other Nigerian states also in talks with the company. Over in East Asia, Toyota Toshio Corporation is partnering with Zipline to enable healthcare access for people and communities across Japan, even in the most remote areas of the country. And across the Pacific, Zipline is expanding operations in the US. Last year, the FAA granted a healthcare network the authority to distribute PPE and medical supplies by Zipline-operated drones in Charlotte, North Carolina. This summer, Zipline is starting a pilot project in partnership with Walmart to deliver select health and wellness products in Northwest Arkansas. If all goes well, Walmart has publicly stated its intentions to expand the program. In short, Joe and the Zipline team have their work cut out for them. If these new projects go the way of their work in Rwanda and Ghana, it won't be long before Zipline drones are an integrated part of these airspaces, zipping along as they deliver important life-saving goods. And I I love how sort of blasé people are about it now. They're like, oh yeah, just another drone (laughs) carrying medicine. They're like, just another day. Thank you for listening to this episode of Modulus. Let us know what you think of this podcast by tweeting at us at Modulus Mag, or if you're feeling generous, give us a rate and review. This podcast was brought to you by the minds and team behind YouTube's Real Engineering and Real Science. This episode was hosted and produced by yours truly, Brian McManus, edited by Graham Harther, and produced and written by Erica Corder. Our music composer is Lee Rosefear. Thank you to our guest, Joe Ball for sharing her stories with us and our listeners. If you'd like to listen to more of this podcast or others like it, go to watchnebula.com and be sure to subscribe. Until next time, thanks for listening.